This is the John Oakley Show podcast. People who've decided that they would, I don't know, it was a matter of wanderlust or adventure, or they had some ideological belief system that was aligned with the ISIS folk there in the Middle East and decided to go and join them. Several Canadians uh, had done this, and uh, now it seems like we've got an issue of those returning home. And I know in the UK, they've decided in France as well, uh, stay where you are in Syria, in that northern readout there, and uh, I guess the Turks have got them under control, and uh, Donald Trump doesn't want them. So what do we do uh, when they come home? As a matter of fact, a Guelph man uh, who had left back in July to uh, join the ISIS folk as the caliphate was unwinding, he was arrested in Turkey. Actually, this was in Turkey. Uh, He was arrested back in July along with his wife on suspicion that he was trying to join the Islamic State. He turned himself in, and he's been formally charged with two terrorism offenses, participating in the activities of a terrorist group and leaving Canada to join a terrorist group. Young man's name, Ikar Mao, he's 22, and uh, he was in a Brampton courtroom on Friday, very briefly, and uh, then I guess he was released on bail. This is a curiosity to me because he initially he had been placed under a what do you call one of these peace bonds that's imposed by the RCMP on suspicion that you might be a risk to offend. Let's find out what's going on in this context. Joining me on the line right now is Christian Luprecht, who's a professor at the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University, as well as a monk senior fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute. Mr. Luprecht, good to have you on The Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Maybe you can help me out here. I mean, uh, this is a case of what we always, I guess, feared or suspected. There were some individuals who had left for whatever their reason, as I cited before, and they're now back on Canadian soil. Uh, What's the best way of dealing with them? Because the other countries seem stymied. Yeah, it's an interesting case because, I mean, it shows that ISIS continues to pose a threat. I mean, he's a guy who looks to join ISIS, as you pointed out, as ISIS is unwinding. And so it continues to inspire folks. But the case, I think, also shows that for all the sort of concerns about Turkey within NATO and whatnot, notwithstanding, that intelligence cooperation with uh, Turkey remains robust because this case would have not happened in the way it did uh, without that. And it also shows, I think, that the RCMP, that the processes are improving and that we're learning uh, because clearly he's an individual that they had their eye on from the beginning and they've been able to assemble um, the evidence in such a way that first they were able to get a peace bond uh, with the agreement of that in individual and now they believe obviously they meet both conditions for uh, a trial which is that on the one hand there's a reasonable chance of conviction on the other hand that there's public interest in pursuing a trial so uh, i think this is a, certainly also a case that's meant to set a deterrent for others who are thinking about doing this that we are getting better at this and uh, but i think the the improvements are too incremental for my personal liking yeah, you know what you just said about uh, the RCMP had done uh, had imposed the terror peace bond with his knowledge, obviously, and his agreement. Is that correct? Right. So what an individual does is uh, the RCMP will propose a series of conditions. Those will then need to be signed off by a judge or justice of the peace. Um, and um, if you break those conditions, then you end up in jail. Uh, so it is entirely up to you whether you agree to the peace bond or not. But um, uh, agreeing to the peace bond means that you're not subject to uh, to, to the confines of, of arrest or detention, um, but that you're voluntarily restricting yourself certain certain abilities of your liberties. 
Now, do we know if he uh, was subject to this terror peace bond before he actually made his way over to Turkey and, and seeking to join ISIS or when he co- came home to Guelph? No, it would have been upon his return, because if there had been a peace bond in place, then that peace bond would have required him to surrender his passport, to remain in the country, and not to go on the Internet and whatnot. So I'd suggest that uh, the RCMP was collecting criminal intelligence on him. Um, perhaps as he left the country, they may have not had enough uh, to, um, to, to have a peace bond in place uh, in time for him leaving the country, or may have left too abruptly. But it means that they were able to follow him, to monitor him, uh, and to collect sufficient evidence to be able to bring that peace bond upon his return, which is better than what we've been able to do uh, for the well over 100 individuals that have returned from uh, uh, having joined ISIS and that have so far been living with impunity in this country. Yeah, well, what's the difference? Why uh, does he get subjected to this and uh, the others not? Well, I think two key elements. One is that I think just improved improved learning and improved processes, in particular by the National Security uh, Enforcement Team in Toronto, which is the busiest such team in the country, that I think there's just, uh, uh, we're getting more competent and better at doing this. Uh, the other is that um, for for the other individuals in place, uh, I think things in process were simply too chaotic. There were too many people leaving. It was too difficult to follow them. We didn't have proper tracking mechanisms. Um, and so so now when individuals can be identified, um, we're simply in a, in a better position to, uh, to be able to follow them. It will also mean that once they can set a precedent, because it's, it's, there's not enough precedent on these sorts of cases, um, that hopefully we can then also prosecute others, because once you have one case where you can get a successful prosecution and you have a pattern set by the courts for the standard of evidence required, we may be able to go back to some of these other cases and lay charges. Is it likely that we've relied on foreign intelligence to uh, substantiate our case against him on these two terrorism-related charges? So that's a very good question. We need to distinguish between two types of intelligence. Security intelligence, which is what cases collect, and criminal intelligence, which is what the RCMP collects. In a Canadian court of law, in order to be able to secure a criminal conviction, you can only collect on criminal intelligence. There are very few exceptions where you are able to introduce security intelligence uh, for the purposes of a criminal conviction. And so that means that the RCMP was on this case early on, and it was primarily RCMP evidence that was collected and that is being introduced here uh, in the terms of disclosure. That doesn't mean that the case may not have started with security intelligence from either CSIS uh, or allied or partner agencies, but then handed over to the RCMP for criminal prosecution. My understanding is he's been released with a number of bail conditions. He'll be back in court on Wednesday. But, you know, if you look at the nature of some of these individuals, if they've uh, initially had an inclination to do some harm to uh, our personnel or our allies, uh, why would you release that individual on bail? Yeah, good question, because, of course, uh, Aaron Driver, who some of the listeners might uh, remember out in the London uh, region, who then subsequently um, uh, um, uh, who, who subsequently attempted to, to commit uh, terrorist crime while out uh, on a peace bond, uh, is probably the precedent for the sort of concerns that the courts would have in this country. Uh, but it suggests probably that uh, it, there's an assessment that he does not pose an immediate risk to public safety uh, in Canada, and that is motivated 
motivations were to join ISIS uh, rather than perhaps commit a broader terror uh, plot or a terrorism offence here in the country. But as we also saw from the recent uh, uh, London Bridge uh, terrorist incident, uh, that it can often be difficult to gauge to what extent uh, individuals have either been reformed or no longer pose a risk to public safety. Um, and so ultimately, judges would err on the side of caution here because um, both with the Aaron Driver incident and more broadly because no judge ultimately wants to have to wear uh, the consequences of having made a wrong decision in terms of releasing an individual. Well, in layman's terms, I mean, uh, is there a risk that some of these ticking time bombs may be walking amongst us? Uh, so sure, I think the uh, there's a there's a great quote uh, from the former chief of the UK prison system that basically said that 80% of people who are in prison uh, probably shouldn't be there, and the 20% that are in prison probably should never be released. Uh, and so I think it poses a considerable challenge when we have individuals who have sympathies for organisations that have committed genocide and committed uh, uh, vast, massive human rights violations and engaged in acts that any of which committed in Canada uh, would be a lengthy criminal sentence in and of itself, uh, certainly those individuals pose a considerable risk to Canadian society, to public safety. Christian Lepracht is with us, professor at the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University as well, among senior fellow at the Macdonald-Laurier Institute, on the matter of uh, people who are maybe fifth columnists, as it were, you know, uh, subversives, somebody with a different ideology inimical to our own and uh, or values. And so, I might just close by asking, you know, you mentioned the uh, London Bridge stabber there, you know, who had been incarcerated for terrorism-related things, got out far too early for most people's liking. And then you've got the situation at the Pensacola Air Base in Florida on the Panhandle, three people killed by a Saudi gunman who was studying there. Uh, he purchased a Glock 45 9 millimeter handgun. Uh, somebody who just, I guess, came into the country, was studying, and got access to a weapon legally, no less. I mean, is there something wrong with the vetting system? Uh, how do these people fall through the cracks? Well, I mean, this has a lot of echoes of 9-11, right? The 9-11 bombers were all of Saudi origin. Uh, they'd also been in the country essentially as students, although in this case, of course, it's a different type of student, given that he's uh, he's, he's here uh, being welcomed by the U.S. military and being trained by the U.S. military. Uh, but I think this is a highly problematic case, both for the U.S. and for uh, uh, for Saudi officials. Um, and, uh, I mean, it, to some extent, you have to rely on the countries that provide the officers for this type of uh, military cooperation agreements and for this type of training. And clearly it suggests that uh, the Saudis themselves um, it perhaps didn't do the, the vetting that they should or that they misassessed, uh, misassessed the risks. Um, and given how much stake Donald Trump has put in his relationship with the Saudis, I think this is also a very personal challenge uh, for Donald Trump. And it also means that um, for all the good that military cooperation that the U.S. is providing is trying to do, uh, this remains also a very difficult relationship. These, of course, the same pilots who then fly into Yemeni's territory where they've reportedly been involved in human rights violations and whatnot. So uh, this is going to bring to light, I think, many more challenges about the U.S.-Saudi relationship than anybody in the current political executive administration in Washington would like to uh, would like to see discussed publicly. I'm wondering if a values test might even be necessary because apparently he posted on Twitter shortly before the shooting uh, that the U.S. supports Israel. He accused America of being anti-Muslim, and this is the kind of stuff that might ordinarily be seen as a flag, but it's usually after the fact. I don't know. Uh, does it make sense that perhaps, in fact, this guy also hosted a dinner party where he and three others watched videos of mass shootings 
And uh, apparently there are reports, too, that uh, some of his classmates watched in a car as his uh, shootings took place. I don't know if they're complicit. It's still being investigated. But uh, would you support a values test for some of these foreign students who may have, uh, again, inimical ideals concerning our own uh, values and principles? I think that's the same sort of question about if you ask somebody who's been in prison whether they've been reformed and they're now good liberal Democrats or whatnot, they would all say sure so that they can get out. So I'm not sure um, how much uh, a values test is, is really going to get, how far that is going to get us. But certainly I think it points to the problem of, you know, has he been radicalized for a long time and gradually, or did he just wake up one morning and just decided he had a hate on for America? And of course, many people in the world watch videos about mass shootings and other things that you and I find completely objectionable, but themselves never move from thought to action. Uh, so these are very difficult cases for authorities, but certainly it appears that there may have been people who at least had a hunch that something was likely uh, to happen and did not report that to authorities. And that in itself, I think, I find perhaps even, uh, at least as disturbing uh, as, the, as the terrorism and the criminal act that was committed here in and of itself, that if people knew uh, that they would be happy to be complicit in such an act. But uh, I think we need to let the, let the actual investigation uh, come to a conclusion here. But uh, this, again, would be difficult because if they would end up being charged, uh, the U.S. may not be able to prosecute them under what's known as status of forces agreement. So it might be up to the Saudis ultimately to prosecute them. And this is perhaps why authorities are being very tight-lipped here, because... I'm not sure the Saudis would let their own individuals being subject to prosecution in a U.S. military court. This is why this case uh, has many complexities to it uh, for the authorities involved. Well, we'll watch with interest. I appreciate very much your insight into all of these matters, Christian. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. You got it, Christian Luprecht again, professor at the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.